welcome to the Data Section. Each week, we explore the world of data by talking to the people shaping its future. You'll learn about new data technology and trends and how data teams and processes are run at top companies. The Data Stack Show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. You can learn more at rudderstack.com. Gus, this is amazing to me, the people that we get to have on the show. We're going to talk with Druba of Rockset, which is built on RocksDB, which is you know sort of a legendary piece of technology used at some gigantic companies, you know, to drive things, you know, like your Facebook or LinkedIn newsfeed. Just incredible. And he has started something new even, which is amazing after how much he's already built. I want to ask him about early days at Facebook. And this may sound funny, but we haven't talked in depth about Hadoop, but he's sort of a Hadoop master. You know, of course, like built a lot of things to solve a lot of the problems that Hadoop had. But we haven't dug into it a ton on the show, so I'm going to actually ask him about that history and especially that transition at Facebook, because I think it, that would be very informative. How about you? I mean, okay, but first of all, I think we there's definitely like a lot to talk about around RocksDB and RockSet. So we will definitely spend quite some time like talking about that, understanding better what RocksDB is and what made it like so let's say, important to the industry out there, and also talk about, like, Rookset, like, what Rookset is doing different, like, compared to other vendors out there, and how RocksDB is part of that solution, right? So I think we will talk about, like, the whole, I don't know, like, probably 20 years of history, and from, like, the Hadoop and Yahoo were out to today. So let's go on that with him. I let's think do it. Amazing. Let's dig in. Druba, welcome to the Data Stack Show. We are so excited to learn from all of your experience and, of course, hear about what you're doing at Rockset. So give us your background, how you got into data, uh, and what you're doing today with Rockset. Cool. Hey, thanks, Eric and Kostas, for inviting me here. I really appreciate your time and delighted to be chatting with you today. So, yeah, my name is Ruba. I am the co-founder and CTO at Rockset. So Rockset is a real-time analytical database that we have. It's a cloud service, and I've been working at Rockset now for the last six-plus years. Yeah, so my experience mostly has been with data systems. So prior to Rockset, I worked at Facebook for around nine or ten years, building a lot of data platforms at Facebook, I started off with building a lot of Hadoop backend data platforms at, at Facebook, Hadoop, Hive, and HBase. And then I moved over to working on another open source project called RocksDB, which was a key value store that we built from scratch or kind of productionized it from scratch at Facebook. And before Facebook, I was at Yahoo building a lot of Hadoop file systems. I was the project lead of the Apache HDFS project back in like 2006 or so. So I've been with this data system for probably like 20 plus years now. So it has been a <laughs> quite interesting journey and I've seen a lot of different software being used for processing data. So I'm excited to be here and just have like a try to answer some of your questions and maybe share some of my thoughts and opinions if you'd like. Oh, we definitely would like that. Let's start with Hadoop. I mean, I think you know, a lot of people who are, you know, sort of maybe newer to the data industry in the last, you know, sort of say several years may not have had direct experience with the impact that Hadoop had early on, you know, sort of in the world of data. I mean, so many things, right? Data processing, big data is, of course, the buzzword. Um but you worked on Hadoop at Yahoo and then at Facebook, right? And, you know, sort of early on when Facebook's employee number was still in the hundreds, I think, yeah. you, know, you mentioned when we were talking before the show. Can you give us a sense of maybe paint a picture of where Facebook was at when you joined, the types of data and the data challenges that they were facing, and why Hadoop made so much sense as a system in 2008? you know, for you to build the things that you wanted to build? 
Yeah, that's a good question because it not just the software, but also the hardware had something to do with this, right? Or why Hadoop became so popular. So back around, around 2006, 2007 and 8, uh, storage became cheaper and cheaper. Like hard disks, like a gigabyte size hard disks were cheaper and cheaper. Yep. And the terabyte size disks came around. Prior to that, storage was costly, right? So you have SATA disks. There's a technology called SATA, S-A-T-A disks. SATA disks, so they became very cheap and price per foot like price per gigabyte. And so people could buy these disks or companies like Facebook could buy these disks. And now the question is that what software shall I use yeah. to store data in these disks, right? So this is the reason why I think Hadoop became so popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wrote a lot of Hadoop file system code, but I'm not saying that is like the world's best code I have written, right? It's good code. It does its job. But the real challenge for or like the promise of the system is that I have maybe at that time, 100 terabytes of storage, what software shall I use to store data? Can I use Oracle? No, I cannot because I'll run out of money because it's very costly, right? So that's the reason why Hadoop became really popular. And I really love the working there because the data sets at that time were a few hundred, maybe tens of terabytes to a few hundred terabytes. This was a very big data set. But within a year or so, it became like a petabyte or so, and then multiple petabytes very easily. The challenge again was like fault tolerance, recovery, can these automatically be handled by the software? Because these disks were cheap. They could fail anytime or they could, so it's not like a high quality hardware that you have. You have low quality hardware, but so much of them that you need software to manage these things, right? So fault tolerance was super important. But again, Facebook invested a lot of resources here because very early on, I think the focus was that if we ever want to monetize a social platform, then you'd have to deal with the data sets. Yep. How we're behaving, reacting, those kind of things, right? So 2008, it was mostly about growth for Facebook. How can I use the data to make things more engaging for customers? Yep. But back around 2011 or so is when how can I use Hadoop kind of platforms to monetize my platform? Like, how can I show better advertisements? How can I show relevant mm. advertisements? So, again, the same technology, but used for very different use cases in the company's lifetime. So, but those systems are very batch systems, right? Hadoop is a very batch system. So, you could just deposit, put a lot of data, and then you could look for intelligence. You could look for mining some nuggets of information that you need to make your let's say, your advertisement's better, right? But yeah, I mean, that is kind of, the Hadoop became kind of, like I said, the granddaddy of all these data systems. It made very easy for people to store data. Yep. It didn't make it easy to query and make sense out of it, but yep. storing all data is the easiest platform there. That was yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you explain how in your time at Facebook, because you were there for some time, how did the teams change around the technology and when did, was there a huge migration from Hadoop? And actually I'm interested in, are they, do you, are they still running some of that old infrastructure or do you know? No, I know. I think they continue to run some similar software, like homegrown software, right? Because they wanted to improve their yeah. backend as well. But I did see a very clear, uh, kind of, what should I say, a path of how the data systems were evolving, right? So back in the days, it was Hadoop back in 2008, store a lot of data, and then some few analysts will come make some queries, queries will give some answers in three hours, and then they will rerun some queries. Yeah. The cycles, iteration cycles were probably a week or two before you actually can get the intelligence out and feed it back into a product land, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then after, I think the company became public, around 2011 or 12, that time there was a lot of focus on monetization. Mm. And so monetization, the focus was how can you make these systems more and more real-time? Because if if a user logs into Facebook, you need to show him the right advertisement at the right time based on what he looked at or where is he located currently, what is his geoposition, and you have to do kind of a complex... Mobile had... I rocketed because like 2008, it was still pretty early. You know, the iPhone was like... Very young, and so mobile's, you know, Absolutely. skyrocketing. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, Facebook didn't have a mobile, good mobile product till 2012. 
Yeah. So we came late into mm. the mobile product. Yeah. Uh, Fascinating. But far later in the game. But yeah, real time became super important. And that's the time when I actually started to work on another project called Rocksteam. So this was a natural progression of events. So Hadoop was good, but we could not make it real time. It is a very bad system. Yep. So the two main use cases that started to use Hadoop but needed more real time was one is obviously ad placement and ad showing. The other one is about spam detection. If somebody is like posts like a bad URL to Facebook, we need mm-hmm. to quantify it as quickly as possible. Otherwise, there is like uh, all kinds of problems, right? Like legal yep. problems, non-legal, some financial issues, everything. So we need to quarantine these bad posts immediately. So Hadoop could not really keep up with these kind of workloads where you need to react quickly to re- new things that are happening in your data sets. Yep. So this one, I got chartered into writing something called RocksDB. It's a database again. It's a key value store, but it is basically low latency queries on large data sets. And there was a hardware change that happened again at this time. 2012 is when SSDs became really cheap, right? Before that, flash drives were costly things. I mean, you think twice before you buy flash drives. You, people mostly store data in hard disks. Yep. In 2012, 2013, SSD prices just started to fall through the roof. And so the way we build RocksDB is that can we leverage the power of the SSD devices and build a database from scratch so you can get low latency queries on these large data sets. So that was kind of the natural progression there. And then much later after that, it was all about uh, building more kind of reactive systems. Before that, things were, all the systems that I told you are very much built passively. But then we had more reactive systems where a change here kind of, how should I say it? It went more to like a, a data flow kind of model where you make a change here, it produces events, and then goes and affects other systems on the side. So the data platforms evolved over time, which are more proprietary to Facebook, not like open source software, but yep. similar to say Flink or some other open source software that we are familiar with. We built some things, some of those things similar over there where things became more and more reactive. So I could see a real change. Like every five years, I think hmm. the data platforms kind of evolve and take a completely different skin. Although the core probably might be still similar in nature. Yeah. So I'm interested to know the, a couple questions, but the first question is, how far did you push Hadoop and what, how did you know when it was time to explore a new solution? I think it's all driven by the market, right? Like what are our developers demanding? So Facebook, I mean, backend data engineer writing data infrastructure code, but then there are a lot of people who are writing applications. Yep. I, I take, for example, the Facebook app, right? The Facebook app, like when you fire up your Facebook app in your phone and you see all your feeds and posts, that is a data app. You see what I'm saying? And that's one of the world's first data app that needed to process so much data and give you results very quickly. Yep. So we also saw that if your real timeliness of the Facebook feed is important, like if you see your friends posts immediately, you have a better engagement versus if Mm. you see posts after 15 minutes. So this is a market-driven thing. So now we said that, okay, we need to build more better data systems which are more real-time. Like if somebody comments on photos everywhere, then that photo should somehow be highly ranked in your feed. Yeah. Uh, so we built a Facebook, we built something called a news feed, which is essentially the backend which powers powers the Facebook app. And that uses RocksDB now. Again, Hadoop, we just cannot use those for those kind of latency, low latency sure. things that are user facing. So so most of these are I think application driven. When applications start using data sets, then the demands are different versus business analysts using data sets. Like Hadoop, mostly business analysts use data sets or that data scientists use data, those systems, right? To answer like what if questions, those kind of questions. But when the application started to use data, hmm. one first application is the Facebook app. Then the demands were very different. It cannot be batch. It cannot be stale data versus live data. So all those things are all driven by applications requiring to do more intelligent things with data versus just doing offline analytics. Sure. And so, okay, so when you started to work on 
Hadoop stuff early in 2008, you know, a couple hundred people at the company, you were trying to drive growth and understand, you know, sort of the dynamics of the social graph, et cetera. Fast forward a couple of years, you now have an app that has real-time demands. How did you decide to build RocksDB and what was available to you at the time? Like, and I know Facebook builds a lot of stuff and it's a very sort of engineering forward culture, especially historically, but can you describe that process and, you know, what, who ultimately said, okay, we're going to build, you know, sort of a low latency key value store type, you know, query engine? Oh, yeah. So I remember there are certain step functions that happen in this process, right? So earlier times, in the earlier part of the real-time journey, we Facebook, we at Facebook used something called HBase. I think you guys might have heard about it. It's basically a database built on top of Hadoop, right? So we tried yep. to use HBase. It was a data system that was powering some of our ads backend, right? And then when I... so. Facebook also had a very cutting-edge engineering culture at the time of trying maybe 50 experiments and letting yep. 45 fail of if they fail, but at least five would be successful. Sure. Yeah, but, I remember that well. Reading all the you know the blog posts about this. Yep. Yeah. So I try. I come. I mean, as I I worked closely with some of the upper management to say, hey, shall we build something which is actually better than HBase? So I got maybe around eight or nine months of time. I looked at other solutions that are out there. Facebook also had some existing solutions, but I figured that this, those don't really leverage the capabilities of a flash storage system, right? So I got a kind of a charter saying that, hey, can I, can we, can I build something where you can give low latency queries on flash drives? And I built something and I had one more people with one more engineer with me first. And then after around eight or nine months, we could replace that 500 node HBase cluster with a 32 node RocksDB cluster. So when we could do this, then other teams at Facebook figured out, oh, this is technology that is disruptive. This is not like a 30% better technology. You see what I'm saying? 500 node HBase cluster getting replaced by a 32 node RocksDB cluster. Like massive. <laughs> Orders of magnitude, yeah. Orders of magnitude, right? So this is what I mean by a step function. When a step yep. function is like this, we can show to developers. The everybody is very, I mean, up to date and understand technology well. They say, oh yeah, this is very different from previous generation software. So then immediately there are like five other use cases and then more people in the team. But it's the first six, nine months of, or maybe close to a year is when you are mostly working on a belief on yeah. saying that, okay, if I build this by leveraging these things, it will be far better. And then I think after that, it was like a kind of a self-drive. Good engineers joined the team because they think, oh, this yeah. is great technology. And they're, Cause they're excited. Better. Better. Yeah, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy after a while. Going from zero to one is the hardest, I think. Yeah. Can you describe so, the, in building RocksDB, you know, there's sort of, two dynamics driving it, like the limitations of HBase and then sort of the ability to dream about what you could do without limitations. What, how did you balance those two drivers? Were you more focused on what was possible or were you more focused on overcoming limitations? I think, how should I say? So it's like when you look at HBase, I think it's a great product at the time. But it feels like, but when your surrounding changes, then I think you need a different kind of product to evolve along with your surroundings. So this is what I mean by when the hardware changes. It's like, so HBase was built for hard disks. Yep. So what the optimum is seek times on the disk. 10 milliseconds is your seek time on a disk. Whereas in SSDs, there's no seek time. Everything is yep. random. You can get like microsecond latencies from flash drive. So yep. this is what I mean. I think I tried to understand the limitation of the older system. And I tried to look at what does the new hardware offers me and how can I leverage this to build higher layer applications sure. on the stack. I think it's both sides of your question, essentially. Sure. It's about overcoming limitations as well as kind of dreaming, saying that if I can overcome these limitations because 
the hardware is helping me, I can actually enable all these type of applications that were not previously possible. Yeah. I think both Hadoop really made data, big data storage possible. Before that, it was not possible at all. And then RocksDB and more low latency query engines let you really store fast or let you really access data fast from SSD-based devices and enable all these data applications that are out there nowadays. Yeah. I can give you examples of data applications also if you like, but yeah. yeah that'd be great. Like, I mean, who's running RocksDB or running sort of their, you know, their applications on uh, RocksDB? So RocksDB is a key value store. It's a very like high performance, low latency C++ backend. So Hadoop, HBase, I wrote a lot of Java code because those are good systems as well. But then when I try to focus on performance and low latency, move to like C++ and build RocksDB. So RocksDB, so Facebook Newsfeed, which is your Facebook app that you use, every time you update, that's served from a RocksDB-based backend. Similarly, a lot of data platforms inside Facebook, which also deals with lots of analytics, is also RocksDB-based, open source-wise. I think Kafka uses, Kafka Streams uses RocksDB internally. Flink uses RocksDB internally. LinkedIn feed, I think, also uses RocksDB internally mm-hmm. again. Some of the uh, blog posts, this is where I have learned these things. It's not like I have proprietary information there, but there's a whole bunch of companies now who uses RocksDB inside their own software. And of course, at Rockset, which is where I currently work, we use RocksDB a lot because we do data analytics, which is all focused on real-time analytics. And RocksDB is kind of our building block. So we have something called RocksDB Cloud. It's an open source project as well. It's a sub-project of Rockset. And it lets you run RocksDB well on the cloud platform. So the reason we do that is because Rockset is a purely a cloud-based service. And all our data we store using RocksDB because RocksDB is essentially like a very powerful indexing engine. So you use RocksDB as an indexing engine for all these analytical data sets. And that's the reason why we could serve low latency queries. I mean, that's one of the reasons, not everything. But one of the reasons is that, yes, we can fetch data from large data systems quickly enough using the RocksDB indexing engine. Yep. Mm. Makes total sense. Two more questions because I've been monopolizing the microphone and I know Costas has a bunch of questions. One is technical and then one is about your time at Facebook. The technical question is, what was the most difficult challenge you faced in building RocksDB? Good question. So I think when you're building infrastructure, right, like data infrastructure or any kind of infrastructure, right, the question is always about price performance. It's not about mm. performance, right? It's like, think about it. It's like the pipes in your building, right? Like the water pipes in your building. They have to do, have to sustain some pressure. They have to be cost efficient because you don't want to spend too much money on a lot of these pipes. Right. Right. Without water, it cannot function in your building, right? Same thing with a lot of this infrastructure. I think it is price performance which matters. Mm. It's not about just functionality and features. So the focus, again, I was at Facebook and there we are talking about scale, right? At scale. We can't build something. Building infrastructure the first time is easy. It's to build it at scale is the challenging part in my mm. mind because it's it. Yep. So the biggest challenge was how can you make it efficient and cost effective and kind of leverage or extract everything we can to make sure that you can get low latency queries, huge number of QPS, and make sure that the hardware you're running on is the cheapest hardware so that you don't have price performance challenges. So I would think that measuring, performance measuring, benchmarking, iterating, making sure that it does power real-time analytics, those kind of were the challenges. It's not one thing. It's a series of things, but it's all focused on performance. So, so yeah, performance is a kind of the key differentiator for OxDB compared to every other key value stores or databases that are out there. Yep. Love it. Okay. Last question. This is about your time at Facebook. Do you have any fun stories about interactions with Mark Zuckerberg? You know, cause you were there when it was 
200 or so in play. So you had to be in a meeting with him at some point if you were working on sort of core data infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, obviously the first time was the interview session. So because he was a person who is very hands-on, right? Yeah. He knows everything. I mean, at that time, at least he knows everything. So, but then over time, I think I really liked the fun part in my mind was that there are very few people that I know who have a great sense of technology and product. Mm. So I think Steve Jobs is obviously one I read about him as well, but this is another person that I've seen from close. And uh, I think there are very few people like that who have great technology interest and understanding, but also understand product so well. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of fun stories otherwise. Yeah. I mean, like, that time, Facebook used to be like a really small company. So yeah, so we used to be Palo Alto uh, downtown. There were like seven buildings. I was below a Quiznos. So I'll <laughs> we, all my office dungeon, and then because you get all the Quiznos was like a uh, sandwich place, and you get yeah, you all could the like things. smell oh, smell the food oh, cooking next door. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it was a place. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So very cool. I'm sure it was just so inspiring to work with someone like Mark Zuckerberg. Okay, Costas, please jump in here. I could keep going, but please jump in. Yeah, it's like you can. Like it's such an interesting conversation. Like I really enjoy like listening to you two like uh, talking. Okay, I have a question though, and like I don't know. It's I found it like super interesting that there's like a pattern in what you were saying, Drubas, far like. We had one storage revolution or revolution and a new software technology came out of this, Hadoop. Then we had the next one. We went from SATA to SSDs. We ended up like having RogueDB and like this whole like family of database systems that take advantage of this new storage. What is it like? What do you expect? Do you have like a prediction about what's going to be the next evolution in hardware and storage that might yes. trigger another evolution like that? It's awesome that you're asking me this uh, because I think this is the reason why I started Rockset. So what happened at, at least in 2015 and 16, I really saw that the cloud is becoming really popular, mm-hmm. right? The cloud, I think, is a different piece of software. Yeah. I mean, hardware, right? Cloud. The reason cloud is a different piece of hardware is because you can provision new hardware by using a software API. You know what I'm saying? So give me thousand machines. There's a software API to get thousand machines. In the old times, you'd have to provision, you'd have to get set up racks and put a data center, right? So the reason I'm really excited about this new phase that I'm working on is because the cloud has become really popular. And the cloud is the third type of data hardware change that I have seen now in my lifetime, right? Like first SATA disks, then SSDs, now it's the cloud. And what is different in the cloud is that you could provision hardware at the by using a software API. Yep. You could get machines, you could get CPU, you could get storage, whatever else, right? So so the way so this is kind of the vision for Rockset is that how can we build a cloud database? Primary reason why Rockset is price performance. Again, price performance is my key for every software that I'm trying to build. The reason Rockset is best price performance is because it's built natively for a cloud. It's not something that you download and install on your data centers on your machines. Take, for example, this database compared to all other databases. We have complete segregation of storage and compute. Mm-hmm. So it's a database where storage and compute is together. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Rockset can separate these two out is great for applications because that's if you have a lot of data, you need more storage. If you need a lot of queries, you need more compute. But it gives you without giving, without being slow is the problem, right? Like if you disaggregate it, many other systems are there where if you disaggregate your queries are slow. But the key for us is that how can we build a disaggregated system but the queries are faster than existing systems that are out there. So that's one. And the second second one that I see that the change is that almost everybody is moving from stale analytics to real-time analytics. Yes. 
Like if you look at, say, EMR, right, AWS EMR, or even Snowflake, they're all about data analytics. Can I get data 15 minutes ago and then run some analytics on it? Whereas for Rockset, it's all about real-time analytics. How can I look at data that just got produced a few seconds earlier or a few minutes earlier and take an action on it? It's not people who is taking an action. It's other data software that's taking action on the data. So, so yeah, I mean, I think those are the two trends that I see. The hardware change about the cloud and the market is just right for evolving data systems to produce new features or new facilities for applications. Mm-hmm. So would you say that like Rockset is, uh, let's say, like a piece of infrastructure that someone would use to build other software or it's closer, let's say, to like data warehouse where people will go and like use it to do like, even in real time, right? But like still like ad hoc analytics or like reporting. How do you position like the product itself? like? In, this yeah. landscape, to be honest, is like pretty crazy, right? Like there are so many things happening. So that's why I'm asking. No, great question. Yeah. So what happens is that this is, again, the trend that I see, right? Mm-hmm. Hadoop and other systems, they made data analytics or analysts or quants look at data more ad hoc analysis. But I think what is happening now is that it is software who is using this data. And I'll give you examples, right? Take, for example, we have a use case where, like, so the largest payment system is using, largest payment system, microfinancing system in Europe, they're using Rockset. They're getting events from all the transactions that they're doing, right? But then they want to quickly figure out which events or which payment systems are uh, fraud or scam. So they need to take action. If they quarantine that action within a few seconds versus a minute or so, this save a lot of money. You see what I'm saying? That's one example. And again, this is an application that is running. No analysts are sitting and making ad hoc queries on Rockset. Another one, we have a good, a big airlines who is using Rockset. That airlines is doing, so when you buy an airlines ticket, your price of the ticket is different on different days. And so now they take feedback of on demand and supply to figure out what is real time ticket price. We mm-hmm. Rockset for this. Again, no, People are querying this data, like yeah, like say travel agents or whatever, to buy tickets at the end of the day. But the backend is the one that is querying systems like Rockset to figure out what is the current price of this ticket when somebody is moving, flying from one place to another. Mm-hmm. So it's all about automatic systems making queries on data sets. It's not about manual people doing ad hoc queries and figuring out. Those are also there for Rockset. Because Rockset has a SQL interface on Rockset. So what Rockset is, it's a RockDB-based database, but we have a SQL interface on it. So you can do standard SQL using joins, segregations, group by, sort, everything else. So people find it easy to use because RocksDB is a C++ backend, right? Not everybody, not every data person or a developer can write C++ code or should. So we have a very standard SQL over REST API. Uh, easy to use, but you get the power of RocksDB on the back end. So you kind of marriage of both sides. Uh, mm-hmm. Can I answer your question about how, like, where the usage is? I have, like, some follow-up questions on that, to be honest. So, okay, consider, like, let's say some other real-time process, like data processing systems like Druid or ClickHouse. What's the other one? Pino, but these are like the ones that like really come in my mind right now. How is this difference like between these systems? Good question. Yeah. So what happens is that Druid, I think the Druid project started probably in 2008 or nine. I mean, it's been around for a long time. For a while. Yep. Yeah. So what happened is that for both Druid and Pino or even Snowflake for that matter, right? They all leverage the thing about columnar organization of your data. Mm-hmm. This means that if your record has 50 fields, they store every field in its own column. And then the processing is that, can I scan this column as quickly as possible, right? So all of those systems are column-based systems and query is all scan-based, which means how can I paralyze my query and scan every column as quickly as possible? So that works when there's ad hoc queries, right? 
But now, when your QPS increases, let's say analyst is making a query. I mean, he can probably make a query once every 10 seconds or whatever. But when a software is making queries, the QPS of the system is high. So mm-hmm. let's say there is 5 QPS, 10 QPS, hundreds of QPS. So just imagine the amount of compute you would need to keep scanning this data set again and again for every query. You yep. see what I'm saying? Yep. It's like if you're looking for a word in your book, if you look at scan the 500-page book, it takes you so much energy and time to find the string you're looking for. Mm-hmm. It's just going to the end of the book and looking up the index on the book and say, oh, this is the string I'm looking for. So Rockset is built with an indexing technology and not a scan-based technology. Okay. Means is that when a query comes in, we don't need to go scan all the data again and over again for every query. We leverage the index very efficiently to figure out where the data that is matching the query exists and return. Basically, the difference between Rockset and all other systems, which is includes Druid, Snowflake, Pinot, everybody else. Some of these systems are trying to think about building an index now or oh, can I make an index manually? But for Rockset, every field is indexed. We call it the converged index. So our converged index is the differentiator. Why our queries are fast versus other scan-based approaches that are out there. So that's one. And the second one is that we work only on the cloud versus mm-hmm. Pino and ClickHouse and everything else, these are all pre-cloud software, which basically means that storage and computers together. Yeah. It's separate of the storage and compute. If you need to, just like Hadoop, like nothing wrong with it, but it works well when you have your own data centers with your own machines. In the cloud system, I think it's super important to be able to separate compute and storage. Yeah. Because that's the only way for you to scale up and be cost-effective. So none of the other systems can give you this segregation. Rockset can separate Query, compute, storage compute, and because it's a real-time system, it also segregates ingest compute. So there are three ways of disaggregation. There's a compute needed for writes, compute needed for queries, and com- and storage needed to store your data. So Rockset is essentially a three-way disaggregated architecture, which is why you get the best price performance if you use Rockset. Again, you could do similar things on ClickHouse or Snowflake, but the price performance would be very worse compared to the one that you, if you use ROS. Mm-hmm. So that's basically the difference. Am I able to explain it? Yeah, 100%, 100%. Okay, and you mentioned, like, when you started talking about ROSDB, like, the first thing that you said, it's like a, a key value store, right? How do we go from a key value store to that index that you're talking about? Because you don't necessarily need to have an index to have a key value store, right? Like, key value store is exactly not, like, it's like a Asma, right? Like I have like a key and I want to go and like pull the, inf- the, the information like based on the key that I have. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that and like how the, did this like, is this first of all like part of RocksDB or this is like more part of Rockset? Ah, great question. So Rockset uses RocksDB to build an index, right? But it is, I mean, there's precedence of doing it and I saw it is being done at Facebook as well. So I'll give you an example, right? But in Facebook, we used to use RocksDB for storing the social graph. Like, let's say these are this is a username and these are the post IDs, right? Social graphs. But then very quickly, in at Facebook, I'm talking about how you use RocksDB is that we also want an index based on the geolocation. You see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? You want to go to a geolocation saying Golden Gate Bridge is the key. Who all has posted photos in the Golden Gate Bridge? Now, that's a secondary index on the social graph. Mm-hmm. Or an application of uses RocksDB to build a secondary index on the entire social graph. I'm mm-hmm. talking about like a 20 petabyte of social graph data. We use RocksDB to build a secondary index to be able to serve queries like, show me all my friends who visited this location on between these two dates. So there, this is what kind of inspired us to build Rockset as well. So in Rockset, people actually have data that we store in RocksDB, but we also use RocksDB to build a secondary index on mm-hmm. every field mm. so that when your queries come in, you ask arbitrary questions to the data and all queries are fast. Yeah. Other systems like take, for example, ClickHouse, for example, right? If you use ClickHouse, that's good if you're making a query, but once you want to make change in a query and you say, I need to add these filters, now you'd have to go 
talk to the ClickHouse database administrator or whoever is managing the database saying that I'm going to make this query now. Can you create a secondary index on these columns? Or can you denormalize this data so that I know my queries will have this additional filter? In Rockset, mm-hmm. everything is pre-built for you. So you can actually make queries on any of these systems or any of these data set on any fields without having to re-ingest this data or re- yeah. You make the cost of indexing so cheap that people don't think more about, oh, in the indexing cost. Like prior generation databases, they think that indexing is costly, right? Mm-hmm. But because of the cloud friendliness and separation of compute and storage, we can build indices really cost effective. Mm-hmm. Using Rockset, you don't have to think, shall I build an index or is it going to be prohibitively costly for me? Yeah. This is kind of the thinking, change in thinking in a developer's mind of why, when, and how to use Rockset. That's super interesting. And, okay, I have like a, I don't know, maybe it's a bit of like a dumb question, but in my mind, there's always like a trade-off when you are indexing in terms of like how fast you can write your data, right? Like, as you start like adding more processing during the ingestion process, the slower like the process is going to be, right? And that's like, I think you have like systems that are like extremely, let's say, optimized for writing, right? And I think RocksDB is like an example of that. You can literally like rather build like a data system based on RocksDB that's going to be like extremely fast in writing data, right? But if you start adding like indexing there and you want to keep latencies low and you want to have also like a really fast ingestion and at the same time like being able like to serve the indexes to your users to use them. How do you do that? Like how do you balance and like do the right trade dose there? Because like at the end, that's what engineering is, right? Like figuring out the right trade dose. So how do you do that? Exactly. Yeah, I think. So you're absolutely right. Indexing basically means that you need more compute to when you write data because now every byte that you write needs to be indexed, right? <laughs> so the fact that, so let me explain you how, why it is easier or cost effective to do it in RocksDB. So RocksDB is a LSM engine. It's a log structured merge tree. So it's unlike a B tree or a binary tree or whatever else that others databases use like Postgres or MySQL, right? So for prior generation systems, if you do a write, it needs to do a, the database will go read a page from the storage and then update it and then write it back. So there's a read modify write for every write that's happening. Whereas for an LSM engine like RocksDB, when a new write happens, it all goes to a new place on the disk. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go and overwrite stuff. So the write rates are similar to what you see on a disk device or an SSD device. If an SSD device is able to do 500 megabytes per second writes, RocksDB can keep up with it as long as you have some compute associated with that storage device. You see what I'm saying? So it's very different write rate compared to the binary tree that most databases used earlier. So that's one thing that Rockset uses a lot, which basically means that we can write at RocksDB speeds. And the other thing is that in Rockset, we have the way we shard is different from most databases. So if you use HBase or if you use Cassandra or other database systems, when an update happens and you need to build indices, the, ind- the update will be here. The indices will be on different machines. So you need Paxos, Raft, or some other protocol to be able to keep all the machines in sync. So Rockset doesn't do that. Rockset does what it does is basically it's document sharded. So a document goes to one machine on the cluster. And all the secondary indices are built in that node. Secondary indices are not spread out among other machines. So writes don't need Raft or any other Paxos algorithms. It all goes to one machine. So these two reasons is why we can sustain high write rates. I'm talking about like, say, 500 megabytes per second write rates on data systems that we have, which is constantly indexing and storing data in RocksDB. And you don't have to kind of provision saying that because again, because in the cloud it's, you don't have to provision for peak capacity, right? Because we can get machines when needed. So this is why this is now economically feasible for users. You see what I'm saying? In the old times, it is not economically feasible because I have to provision for peak capacity and I have to buy all my machines and keep it there when my highest write rate happens. But in the cloud, that's not true. 
maybe your highest write rate happens from 9 to 4 o'clock in the daytime and all the other times, like let's say you are looking at market data or something like that, right? Half of the time your market is not alive or like whatever in the stock market. So, so many other reasons is why these kind of indexing technologies are you are becoming cost effective at scale now. Yeah, makes a whole sense. That was super informative. All right. So what next? And when I say what's next, it's two questions actually. What do you see like as next for the industry overall? And what is next also for Oxid? What's the next thing that you really anticipate like to see, you know, going live on the product? Yeah. For Roxit again is so let me answer your first question, the second question first, right? Because then I can explain where the industry, I think the industry is going. So Roxit, we are a cloud service. So we're constantly making improvements to our backend and shipping new products. And the thing that excites me the most is that most data systems I feel currently are not great at giving isolation of different applications running on the same data sets. You see, like I have hands-on experience with Hadoop and Kafka and all these other open source technologies. The good technologies, no way, but when you want to use it for five different applications on the same topics or the same database, it is very difficult to do. So, so this is a, this is something that Rockset is innovating a lot where you could have one storage, one database. But you could have five different applications. One is like I say, a real-time ticketing application. One is a fraud detection application. One is marketing application running on the same database, completely separate compute engines, but they all see live data that is changing in the database without the customer having to copy data from one place to another and make sense out of it. So, so multi-tenancy and ability for different apps to leverage these large data sets with the least amount of complexity is what we are kind of innovating on and on the rock set side. As far as the industry is concerned, I think, how should I say it? I would say that real time is very addictive for most applications. It's like real addiction in my mind. Like what we have seen is that when customers use a real-time system, they cannot go back to a stale analytics system. They can feel the difference of, it's like testing sugar for the first time, right? If you, <laughs> I think there's some restaurant I went the other day. I won't name the country because I want, don't want to say bad things about that country, but that country did not have sugars till 1876 or when, till the English people went there. So, then suddenly everybody got addicted to sugar. <laughs> but yeah, real-time analytics is like that. I think most people yeah. are used to stale analytics saying, okay, I got to wait for one hour to figure out what to do next, how to make my business better. Mm. But once you taste, this is just sticks with you. And I think a lot of applications, data applications, starting from your food delivery to your book shipping or whatever else, everything is more and more real-time. And, yep. and I feel like data is just transforming everything that we have in the world. Like data is powering. I mean, I don't want to be the cliche, but like data is the new oil and all this stuff I keep sharing, right? This is coming true in my mind. Yep. A lot of automation being built on these data sets. And it's not people making decisions anymore. It's some other piece of software that's making decisions on the data. And this is what rock set and real time kind of applications are driving more and more into this area. Yeah, 100%. All right, one last question from me, and then I'll give the microphone back to to Eric. So, RocksDB is like, I don't know, like one of the most successful like open source projects out there, right? Like, it's phenomenal, like not just uh, the use of it, but how much has been used to build other technologies on top of that. Like you mentioned a few, I mean, I think like, a testament to this is like if someone goes to GitHub and see like RocksDB there, yeah, you can see like the thousands, the tens of thousands of like the stars. But what is like so impressive is like how many clones exist, like how much has been cloned, right? Which means that like people are like working on it. What in your opinion outside of, okay, obviously like there's something revolutionary about the technology itself, right? But 
What else do you think that contributed to the success of RocksDB as a technology outside, I mean, as a project and like the adoption and all that stuff outside of like, okay, the technology itself? I think it's the people and the funding. I think no software becomes useful unless there are good people working on it. And nothing happens in the world nowadays by one or two people. You need a good set of great people to band together to build this software. That's the first one, I think. And the second one is that you need some kind of support so that the community and the software grows along with it. And I think Facebook provided that a lot, especially testing frameworks, especially like leveraging many other systems that were there at Facebook to make rocks to be better, toolings to be able to figure out, find bugs quickly. A lot of those, basically, again, I think there are two things that are, I think, make a lot of these open source projects successful, right? One is the people. If you can assemble 20 great people to build a project, I think that'll be a fantastic project. And then the next one is that, is there a force behind this community so that it can move forward? I can see that happen with many other open source communities as well. I mean, Hadoop community, I still participate in it, but I don't write Hadoop code much anymore. But I see that the community is very big there as well. So there's, so yeah. So I think open source is an interesting, you know, you were at Starburst, so there's a lot of open source development there as well. And it's, I think the open source community kind of feeds with one another. So it's kind of a, it's a good cycle to kind of participate and, make things better. So, yeah, that's the answer about Rocks TV. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Eric, all yours. Yes. Okay, one one philosophical question and one practical question to to close out the show. The philosophical question, so you mentioned you know, more and more real time is having an impact and there are machines making decisions. You've seen this on a much closer level from sort of a, you know, deep in the stack data perspective. Is there anything that worries you? Or maybe a better way to phrase the question is, do you have thoughts on how we steward this technology, you know, as we implement it, you know, because people have lots of opinions on machines making decisions and the technology is obviously enabling that. So thoughts? I mean, I know, like, take, for example, all the drone systems that are out there, right? There is mm. a good feedback system of real-time analytics of how what the effect of the drone stuff is when you, like, put bombs somewhere and things like those, right? Yeah. So there is real-time, I think, is changing the world, like you, like we kind of discussed. I think there is a um, fine balance between how to channel that thing for greater good, there's always 10% of or some few percentage of usage which are probably not the most ideal for humanity yeah. in general, yeah. right? It's just like the atomic bomb, right? I think it produces a lot of energy now, atomic energy, but I think we would be able to leverage it well, I feel yeah. like. We have lots of bells and whistles, a lot of our automatic processes that we build always have fallback mechanisms that it works within a band. It doesn't just go haywire yeah. and ruin everything. So I think the human mind is still at the top of the food chain. So I yeah. think there's really hundreds of years before, before yeah. all these automatic decision-making becomes life-threatening or anything. So I think... Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it goes back to what you said about people, right? Like it's the, you know, the right people behind the technology, you know, I think is the most important thing. So thank you for entertaining a a somewhat ethical question. Okay, last question, which is more practical. You have seen such a really built on such a wide swath of data technologies, you know, even reaching back into the days of making architectural decisions based on hardware, which I think a decent proportion of our listeners, you know, sort of to them that, you know, they won't ever have to make those decisions because, you know, Rockset has made those decisions for them in the cloud, right? And so they can just sort of scale without, you know, without thinking about it. And now you're building for the cloud. When you mentor younger people in the data industry, what do you tell them, you know, sort of about how to think about their career and how to think about data? Because you bring such an immense amount of perspective of the history. And so how do you package that into advice? One of my core philosophies, again, I think is to add value to 
somebody's life. I really don't care whether it is monetizable or like something where you can make money about, but I feel like if you can add value to somebody else's life, then automatically as a side effect, you make the ecosystem better. You probably mm. make things better. But as if you're starting off in a data carrier in the early parts of the carrier, I think the focus is always how can I build something or how can I do something that adds additional value to somebody else? Somebody else could be peers in your team, right? That's a great thing as well. It could be customers if you're selling stuff. Or it could be just plain users like open source software, right? There's no customers. They are mostly users. So as long as I think you are focusing on building value, I think you get into this cycle of becoming more impactful yourself and Mm -hmm. enjoying the work at the same time. So work doesn't become work. Work becomes like more enjoyment because you're adding value. You see people liking your stuff and you build more of it. Yeah, uh, I probably gave you a meta answer. I mean, this is applicable to whatever industry you are. It doesn't have to be software or anything else, whatever you are doing. I feel like if you're building value to somebody else's work or somebody else's product or life, I think that is a, that's a great thing to be as long as you're also enjoying the work that you yourself are doing. Yep. No, I think that's. Not only wonderful career advice for people working in data, but just wonderful life advice. So, Dhruba, thank you so much for that. And thank you for being so generous with your time. Um, And amazing to talk with you, the builder of some, you know, some of the highest impact technologies that we see driving a lot of the things we use every day. So thank you so much for giving us more of your time. Hey, thank you. Thanks a lot, Eric and Costas. It was really good chatting with both of you. Well, I don't think many people know that, you know, RocksDB was originally fueled by the smell coming from a Quiznos that was baking subs next to the Facebook office. But now you have the backstory brought to you exclusively on the Data Stack Show. No, I think, no, it was great to hear him talk about, you know, Facebook's sort of first office and being in the basement. So many interesting things that we covered. I was just so impressed with Druba just has maintained a, I would say like just a high level of interest and joy in the space and in building things after he's seen so much. I mean, it's cool to hear the stories, but you have to imagine that the day to day of trying to build that stuff and scale that stuff inside of an organization that's growing like, you know, Facebook, you know, being a founder. Uh, I mean, those are really intense experiences. And he still seems just, you know, full of joy and energy. And that brought me a lot of joy. So I think that's the main thing I'm going to take from the episode. How about you? There are many takes, but I'll keep for sure like one, which is how many of let's say they like how much of the innovation that we have seen like in software is actually triggered by innovation in hardware. I, this is one of the insights that like I don't think that you can get from someone unless this person has been in this for a while and doing the stuff that we were talking about like today. Yeah. I think discussing about like storage and how like storage actually like dictates like the things that we can do and how this like worked with Hadoop and how like then the SSDs like brought like RobsDB, like all that stuff. It just makes me, I don't know, like I, I think I'll be looking into what's new storage technologies are going to be coming in the next like months and years like with much more interest now than before so i'll keep that i'll keep that and let's arrange to have some back soon we will what to talk about well thanks for listening many more great shows coming up subscribe if you haven't and we will catch you on the next one We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Data Stack Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get notified about new episodes every week. We'd also love your feedback. You can email me, Eric Dodds, at eric at datastackshow.com.
That's E-R-I-C at datastackshow.com. The show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. Learn how to build a CDP on your data warehouse at rudderstack.com.